0: All right, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Malachi. The last time that I spoke, I preached from the first chapter of Malachi. And uh, we will continue in parts of chapter 1 and in chapter 2 for this morning. Let me uh, take just a moment and uh, say that... uh, I appreciate so much your prayers for us as we make this trip to the Middle East. This one's a little different than any of those that we have made thus far. in the fact that, uh, Lord willing, on January 20, we'll be dedicating the new uh, Middle East Baptist Seminary facility. And we give God the glory for uh, this journey that he has given us approximately five years ago. Uh, one of the elders in the church at Fragala, which is in the city of Cairo, came to me and he said to me, Pastor David, I want you to see a building that I'm building. He said, I'm building it for uh, to be apartments. But uh, he said, the Lord's impressed me that if you'll enter in with me in fundraising to finish the building, he said... Uh we will give it to the independent Baptist churches of Egypt when it's completed well we 're thankful to God it is completed, and we're thankful to God that He has supplied the financial needs there's a few things that are lacking It's a blessed for me to be packing a suitcase with brand new communion sets. Amen. They have to have that to start the church and keep it going. That's a part of it. And we give God the glory for that. We have uh, 30-something scheduled to graduate in Juba, South Sudan. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I'm getting too old for this rat race. I happen to go 100 mile an hour, and I'm wondering if I'm going to be there together when I get there. But the Lord has been helping me, and uh, I just so appreciate, through the years, the the cooperation of Peachtree Baptist Church with all our different uh, missionary outreaches. This morning, while I'm standing here, some of you know Jerry Carpenter. Jerry Carpenter is the son of Pastor Earl Carpenter, who is now with the Lord, But Jerry had uh, serious bypass surgery on uh, this week. I spoke uh, with his wife on yesterday, and he came through the surgeries fine, but they're watching him very closely and were very concerned. Uh, They had to do a replacement. They did bypasses, two or three of them, but he had an aneurysm at the top of his chest, and they were fearful to do the surgery, but not to do the surgery would mean that he would for sure die. So uh, he called me and said, I want us to have a meeting. And he always does this when he's got a crisis. <laughs> and I met with him, and we prayed. I want to say this to you. You should live every day expecting the Lord Jesus' return. You should live every day understanding that this day may be your last day and the important thing is that we know jesus christ as our personal lord and savior some little flippant church confession or something that you did in baptism with the church when there was never really change in your heart and life is not going to work you'll wind up in eternity separated from god forever So I plead with you today as we study from the book of Malachi that you pray for these that we have mentioned. Brother Chester and Sister Yvonne have left on a uh, boat ride, amen, and they have experienced their 60th wedding anniversary. And he said, while I'm still able, I want to take her. So they're on a cruise. He's gone. He and I had a prayer meeting yesterday morning, and he told me, he said, Pastor David, please tell the church to pray for me and Yvonne. So we thank God. He's a good deacon, just like all our deacons. As pastors, we have to say thank you, Lord, for the deacons that you have given us at Peachtree Baptist Church. All right, if you found your place in the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter, I'll start uh, with verse 1 and then we will skip to chapter 2 and verse 1. Please stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord. Yet I loved Jacob. And I hated Esau. And laid his mountains. And his heritage waste. For the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith. We are impoverished. But we will arise and build the desolate places, thus saith the Lord of hosts. They shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of the wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel." Now verse 6 is key. Notice, a son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein? have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say, The temple of the Lord is contemptible. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, And if ye will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed, and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear of, wherewith he feared me and was afraid after my name. Father, we ask you to bless the reading of the Word of God this morning, and we're asking you, Lord Jesus, to give me enablement to declare your Word in an effectual way. Lord, as we look at our land, we're made aware that apostasy is moving in on every side, and our hearts are broken Because, Lord, there was a time that the fear of the Lord was in the land of America. And I ask you, God, to give us revival. We need, God, for you to intervene in our behalf. Lord, our children's souls are at stake. our children's children, until you tarry, Lord... Uh, There's going to be souls of men and women that will be lost and go off into hell. And Lord, somehow the church will be asleep in her complacency and maybe even in her apostasy. God help us. Lord, we need thee. And speak to our hearts and we'll give you honor and glory in this service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated when one opens the pages of the book of Malachi and begins to read it, he understands that the book of Malachi is written as a dialogue between God and the children of Israel. They seek to defend themselves with the expression, Wherein have we sinned? Let me just share with you, it's a sad thing, that when apostasy starts moving upon a nation and a people, that they no longer see nor understand that their sins uh, are sins that grieve the Spirit of God and the power and the working of God. The issue, as it was in Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, was not an issue of just total uh, uh, rejection of the word of God. It was that there was uh, orthodoxy. In other words, it says in Second Timothy, chapter three, that they had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. The idea is uh, the uh, Eusebius is the Greek word there for uh, for God. Uh, for the godliness that is described there. And it speaks of that inward work of God's grace in the heart that produces a changed life. It says that they had a form of godliness. They had a form of orthodoxy. That meant that they had, uh, from that Greek word morphosin, is the word that uh, means a prescribed system of orthodoxy or belief in other words they were a people that said they believe the bible the issue is not the liberal out here we know they are not saved we do know that there are those that are out there performing religious activities and they're even making merchandise of the ministry but let me say this to you there is a true work of god And there is a true remnant of God. I often say around here it's very important that we see to it that we are the remnant of God. The remnant of God is that core of believers that have followed the Lord in believer's baptism and are actively involved in the worship of the Lord in the house of God. Saints of God understand God's program of the church. We're living in a generation of relativism. You know that as well as I do. Uh, the other morning I was watching the news and and our vice president, uh, Harris, was with a group of college students. As she was discussing certain things in America and what we believe and stand for, she said, Your truth, is all that matters. Listen at that. Your truth is all that matters. That's called relativism. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. You do your thing, you worship your God, you leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone, and I'll worship my God. Let me just say this afresh and in you this morning. There is but one true and living God. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is the Savior of the world. There's not another name under heaven whereby men must be saved. The Bible teaches us that uh, this idea of relativism is the way that is sought out by those that are apostatizing. What is an apostate? An apostate is one that falls away from the faith, the biblical truths of the Word of God. Let me just simply say this to you. Believers and born-again saints of God cannot apostatize. But a church house full of people that are religious, that have never experienced the saving grace of God, can fall away from the faith. Let us be sure that the greatest apostate in all the Word of God is Judas Iscariot. He walked with the Lord Jesus. He was ministered to by the Lord Jesus. He saw the miracles of the Lord Jesus. And with all of this, the Bible tells us in the end, he kissed the door to heaven and betrayed Jesus Christ and went to hell. Did you know it's possible to come to church Sunday after Sunday and betray Jesus Christ? I mean, to go away from God into apostasy. Now, something has really dawned on me, and its uh, I'll give as much of the thoughts today as I possibly can. But we're living in a free sex society, immorality is the result of apostasy. You say, why is that? The church has lost her saltiness. The church has lost her light. And therefore, we do not hear preachers from our pulpits in the land today crying out against sin. The end result is that immorality uh, is one of the manifestations of apostasy. Is seen right here in this text, and what's so interesting about the thing? It starts with the leadership. The exhortations that are being given this morning from the Word of God were exhortations to cause them to understand that that the priest will set the standard, or they will, and they will if they don't follow the Word of God, destroy the work of God. So understand it clearly. The problems with any ministry start with a pulpit. When the pastors stop dealing with sin, and uh, I praise God for Dr. Lucilius and Pastor Allen and their faithfulness. And about two or three Sundays ago, Pastor Allen brought a very, very strong message against sin. Let me plead with you to understand, sin committed by saints of God is worse sin than those that have never known Christ. You say, how in the world is that so? Well, those that do not know Christ go to hell. They will be judged for their sin. But those that profess to know Christ and go after sin and wickedness, confuse the gospel. People around us say, if this gospel of grace changes lives, why do we have so many in our churches that have no heart for the Word of God, no heart for faithfulness to God, nor to the things of God? It is interesting, as we have already seen, that Malachi is the last minor prophet, and the last prophet of the Old Testament. He will point out to us, the condition of Israel, uh, at the uh, end of the book of Malachi, God is saying, you have a form of godliness Israel, but you're denying the power thereof. Any time, That God refers to Israel as Jacob. Jacob is in sin. Israel's in sin. But when Israel is doing right spiritually, he calls her Israel. Let me just say to you in this book, over and over, he refers to Israel as Jacob. Let me say this to you, God's transforming grace changed Jacob into an Israel. And if we understand the Word of God and the things of God, we understand that apostasy is moving in on every side. You say, Pastor David, uh, how is it being manifest? First of all, Israel's apostasy is described in Malachi. And uh, the Bible says that they first were questioning the love of God. I don't know about you, but this old man is uh, setting his course to finish his life embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ as the only message. I've done that my whole life, and I'm not going to change now. And in these last days, I'm going to do everything in my power to believe that God loves me. And that he has set his everlasting love upon me. And that I am the object of his affection. The Bible said they questioned God's love. Do you know what that means? According to Ephesians 4, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Let me plead with you. You grieve the Holy Spirit. You are uh, damaging the ability of worship in a service. Let me say this to you. Our church is as strong as our homes are strong. And if you have sin to come into a local church, it comes through somebody's home. And let me plead with you to understand that God wants the leadership in Peachtree Baptist Church to be transparent, to be holy, and to believe in the sovereignty of God and walk in the fear of God. Can I hear an amen? What is the fear of God? The fear of God is reverencing and respecting God. Let me say that some people come to the house of God with an attitude that is flippant. The Bible tells us in chapter 1, and we saw it in our last study, that the Lord was angry with Israel Because she had made the worship of God commonplace. All you have to do is allow coming to church to become routine. It should be considered on the Lord's day that when we start to the house of God. Praise God we get to go and worship our God today. It should be our attitude in every situation to fear God. That means you reverence God. It doesn't mean you stand and shake, though I promise you if you get a right fear of God, it will cause your soul to shake. Let me plead with you to understand. Today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the time. And the exhortation that should be heard from this pulpit today and my desire is that you understand that my passion, I believe it's the passion of Pastor Allen and Pastor Bob, that we all as a church will fear God. We will respect Him. We will love Him. And he said in his word, if you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments. I point out to you that pastoring is becoming more, more and more difficult. I pe- uh I plead with people to answer the call of God all the time. Young men I talk to about their following the call of God in the ministry. And I have a passion to train them. But I want to say this to you. We need more than just a confession that I believe God wants me to preach. We need some action. We need some men that will start calling sin, sin that'll stand and earnestly contend for the faith. The book is very much a contrast uh, of our day in the fact that it presents God's true character as unchanging. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Malachi says that very clearly. But also... We see that apostasy not corrupts worship and takes us away from the fear of God. And I plead with you, when you come to the house of God, come with uh, a heart that's set on hearing from God. Come to the house of God having prepared yourself to come. By spending time in prayer, we have a tendency to... Let our hearts get cold and get away from God. And I'm going to tell you, a prayerless life is a powerless life. I tell you, a life without a daily feeding on the Word of God will be a life that goes astray. The Bible tells us that God's constraining love in the first chapter was declared. God said, have I not loved thee? And he went ahead and pointed out that he hated Esau. What he's saying is that he loves those that will repent, those that will believe, and they will come only by the sovereign grace of God. Let me say, it is not only declared, but it's demonstrated. Do you know that he said to them, I have laid the... People and their facilities and their finances and their success. He said, I have slain that, and it's fallen. And he said, I want you to know that is my demonstration of hating sin and what I do with sin. And what did they say? We'll rise up again. We are living in a society empowered by wickedness. And their constant deal is we will uh, arise again. Let me just say this to you. Satan will come back and produce warfare against us again and again and again. If you serve God, the devil hates you. If you stand for righteousness, the cause of Christ, the powers of hell uh, hate you. But God wins in the end. I exhort you to understand, God will not be outdone by wickedness. God will punish all sin. He said, Beware of your sin. Uh, I I exhort you to uh, understand that uh, you cannot hide your sin from Almighty God. It was like God was saying, I want to demonstrate to the whole world that I hate Esau's wickedness and perversion. He went on to say that salvation uh, has been demonstrated to you, Israel, and I have preserved you, and yet ye have rejected me. Let me plead with you to understand that the spiritual condition of our day is service, that is oftentimes manifest as communion that goes nowhere because there is no heart in the worship of the Lord. Let me just say, it's good to go to the house of God, but you better go there to hear the word of God and not be under delusion. So they were under delusion, saying, Wherein hast thou loved us? Wherein hast thou Uh, blessed us and cared for us. So their labor was marked by self-complacency. They went to church, they did their activities, but they had no heart for the things they were doing. And so it was that the verse 14 of the last, of the last verse of that first chapter, but cursed be the deceiver. This is an interesting thing that the, uh, priest have been uh, rebuked. And God said, I'll, I'll snuff it. I tried to figure out what that word snuff means. It's not uh, in a little can in your back pocket. <clears throat> no, he says, I despise it. Let me just say to you that He says, you will not give glory to my name. I will snuff at it. And then he goes on to say, the the Lord of hosts and ye brought that which was torn, the lame and the sick, thus ye brought an offering. Shall I accept this of your hands, saith the Lord? He said, you were bringing the lame and the sick, Animals to be offered to God. And let me just say, he said, but cursed be the deceiver. I don't know whether you'll have this or not, but there's so much deception on our televisions today that they're not worth watching. Especially in the areas of uh, immorality, and especially in the areas of religious uh, uh, prosperity. Let me just say, the sins of the people included sin of alien marriages. It's no matter anymore. It's okay to marry a heathen. It's okay to marry them, hope that they'll get saved. God never intended for us to allow our children to just marry somebody. God meant for us to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and pray... For a spouse that has a heart for the Lord. Can I hear it? Amen. Sin of divorce is prevalent today. Why is this? Because the priesthood has quit preaching and declaring uh, righteousness from the pulpit. Sin of skepticism of God's justice. Sin of robbery. Sin of complaint against God, as we've already stated, there was bitterness there. God desires the exercising of grace and mercy and loving kindness if only his people will hear his voice. God said, if you'll just hear me and obey me, I will respond to you. So, let me take just a moment. We have talked about the the others. we've talked a little bit about the priest here, but let me let me just say this to you: A church can rise no higher than her leadership, and uh, as God's leaders at Peachtree Baptist Church, my prayer daily is for the eldership here, that God will give us wisdom and help us. To follow in the ways of God. But I want to say this to you. There are those that are called deceivers. Now I got news for you. I know that our church is very conservative. Some would call us narrow minded. In all of our standards and everything else. But let me say this to you. If we don't take a stand inside the church. Then there will be no stand outside. The church. We have to have standards standards of holiness, standards of righteousness, standards of faithfulness. Can you hear an amen? Uh, It's okay to say amen because this is not something new. This has been taught in the very basis of what we believe. So look with me, if you will, at the question. Uh, We've seen that God is to be feared. And uh, we've lost sight of that. And now what it's led to is a commonplace worship, which also opens the door for a program of sexual immorality. I don't know if you'll have this or not, but one of the greatest sores in my heart is when I hear about pastors falling to immorality. I heard of that just this last week. You know, it's amazing. If we're not careful, we think we're immune. And I'm not talking about just the leadership because the congregation will reflect the leadership. If the leadership will not take a stand, then I promise you the people will not take a stand. So here we see it. And you say, Pastor, what are you zeroing in on this morning? Uh, I want to zero in on the fact Of immorality. You see it's prevalent more and more in our churches today. Uh, Let me just say it simply. It comes under the title called adultery. Amen. There are those that think they've got freedom. To give themselves to someone else. uh, Without marriage. That is one of the most serious mistakes any young person can ever make. First of all, he does away with trust. Any marriage is built on trust. You've got to trust him. You've got to trust her. Amen. And if you don't build it on trust, what's going to happen, there's question marks going off in the mind all the time. Is he faithful to me? Is she faithful to me? Etc. Let me plead with you to understand that the scripture references that we have here concerning immorality open up a floodgate for alien marriages, but also for divorce and putting away of your wife for a younger woman. Does that sound like our generation? (laughs) You say that's found in this text, yes. Verse 11 of chapter 2, Judah hath dealt treacherously, And an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved. And the Lord uh, which he, excuse me, which he loved. And hath married the daughter of a strange God. In other words, marrying the pagan. And... uh, I don't know, I just try my best to uh, pray and ask God to protect our young people. I come in here on Saturday mornings. I want to, any of you want to join us, we'd love to have you. We have a men's prayer meeting here. Usually it's me and Chester and Leon Johnson. Sometimes one or two others will come in. But let me just say this to you. I pray for you. You sit in the same places all the time. Do you, are you willing? Did you know that? You say, preacher, when you stand up and preach, do you know where I'm supposed to be? Yeah. Every once in a while, you'll move somewhere else, and that really gives me a mind-boggling experience. But I'm looking for you. But when I walk the aisles of this church, and there's no one in here but me and Jesus, I know where you sit. But what's so interesting is God uses that to recall. To recall. So I can pray for you. But you know what else? It's important to know that God knows where you sit. You may move. But you can't hide your sin. You may run. But you'll be overtaken. God is holy. And he stands for holiness. The Lord will cut off the man that doth this. The master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. He said it can happen anywhere. It can happen in scholarship. You know, some folk get so educated that they become immune to sin. They think it's all right for them. Sometimes they get scholarly. And scholars fall to sin just like the uneducated. Out of the tabernacles of Jacob. And him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. You mean the people come to church regularly and fall to sin? Yes. It happens all the time. That's the reason a man must keep himself. His wife must keep herself. And they must keep themselves unto one another. Uh, you say, Pastor David, do you think there's any immorality in our church? I hope not. I don't think there is, but I want to know that. I want you to know that God will expose it. God will not tolerate sexual immorality. Let me go. Be sure your sin will find you out. That's the word of the prophet. And this have you done again, covering? The altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. He said some folk are real emotional. I know folk that are emotional, and they're constantly talking about uh, uh, their love for the Lord and this and that. And they're living in immorality. Let me just say this to you. Uh, It's a sad thing when we have a generation that is so deceived that they can't even discern immorality when they see it. I may have told this here before, and I may have even told it recently, I don't remember. But I had a pastor friend that was in a certain place, and and, uh, he had received a young couple into his church, and And uh, so they came into the church in good faith. And then later on, uh, they had a family conference. And right in the middle of that family conference, uh, God was moving. And all of a sudden, that young couple, the young man stood up and says, Pastor, after this series of messages, uh, my wife and I think we ought to get married. He said, your wife? Where we're living together, and it's common law marriage, I guess. Let me say this to you. Where there is not a willingness to make a covenant and trust being established between two people, there will not be a lasting, stable home. You know, it's an important thing to understand that it is a covenant relationship and not something you can get in and out of. When you stand and make a covenant to a man, young lady, or to a woman, young man, you enter into a covenant of marriage. When you do that, it is a three-way covenant between you two and Almighty God. Let me just say this to you. Better men not even vow a vow than to vow and break the vow. Let us understand that such preaching is not popular today. And I'm going to tell you, it'll keep the church pure and it'll help the next generation. Look at it in verse 14 of chapter 2. Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against him thou hast dealt treacherously, Yet is she thy companion, and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Now here's what's interesting. When God introduced marriage in the Garden of Eden, he performed the first wedding. How would you like God to perform your wedding? Believe it or not, he does. Do you understand you made vows under God? And those vows under God are a commitment to Almighty God. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed, therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of that his youth. Now, he said that when you start trying to put away an older wife, that you need to understand that you are dealing treacherously. This means that you're beyond control in your wrath and in your wickedness. And God says, I, I won't have it. Now, what is the purpose of us even preaching and saying and doing what we're doing this morning? Number one, that he might seek a godly seed. In other words, you got to have a godly home and a godly husband and a godly wife if you're going to raise up godly children. And real evidence of our raising up and having succeeded in raising up our children for the glory of God, is how they teach your grandchildren. If there's no Christianity coming from your children toward uh, their grandchildren, or your grandchildren, then you can rest assured that you did not succeed in training them. Now, I, uh, I don't perceive that uh, I've got time to go much further, but I do want to say this. The Bible says, and did not he make one? When God created, he created Adam. Amen. Out of the dirt and the clay or soil. But then when he made the second one, he made Eve, he took the rib nearest the heart away. And therefore, after that, he made woman. then he woke up. Oh, Adam, and, and uh, Adam called her woman. And while somebody said, I think it was Dr. Aubrey, uh Martin at uh, seminary I attended, he said, when Adam woke up, he said, woman. She, he was so excited. You know why? God had taken out of him That he would not be complete without a wife. Let me just say this to you. Marriage is to make you complete. Amen. So if you're a wife, thank God you got a husband. So you can help make him complete. Amen. Uh, A home is made up of a husband that has strength. To say no to the things that are wrong toward his home. But a wife gives the emotion to love the babies and to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You got to have both. Somebody said that uh, Christ is head of the church and the husband is the head of the wife, but the wife is in the leadership business of the home to make sure those children grow up knowing the ways of God. Make it a complete home. I go on to point out to you there's more than just making a home complete and that what God has designed you should never destroy. Let us understand that if you're in a good situation, in spite of such past sins, you thank your God. You need to bow with adoration in your heart that your God can forgive your sin regardless of the depths of them. But when He forgives sin, you don't go back to Him, you walk in obedience. So, what is the purpose of marriage? To make a couple complete. Secondly, It's for companionship. You know, you don't start out with them and then ditch them and get somebody else later on because you're going to find out you can't keep up with them. You have grown old with a spouse and him in your eyes and he in your eyes should be great for all that he is and that he has given you and has protected you And provided for you. Amen. And has been a priest in your home and in your life. But as a wife. You thank God that God's given you a provider. You thank God that uh, he's given you a priest. That he's given you one that will protect you. That's the will of God in gaining a husband. Can I hear an amen? Amen is a place of, call a place of rest in the book of Ruth. It's interesting. You say, well, to make us complete and for companionship, amen. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Uh, That's Amos' words. Can we say amen? We understand that there has to be an agreement between the husband and the wife in spiritual things, in their worship, What they do if it's going to stay harmonious. Okay. Further, marriage is designed for pleasure. Amen. What a blessing it is to understand that intimacy uh, is a part of God's program, that He may please her and she may please Him. And that's not sinful. If it's in the binds of marriage and it's confined in the bind, the area of marriage. Let me just say to you that uh, another thing, and I'll try to conclude with this, uh, maybe one, two more. Uh, uh, Fruitfulness. Faithfulness to one another produces the fruit of godly children. And if you're faithful to the Lord and walk in obedience to Him, then you're going to be blessed. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable. That means it's of great worth. In all. And the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. That's pretty... uh, Pretty clear in the Word of God, isn't it? Do you know what he says? The bed is undefiled. Let me just say this to you. Uh, We have a generation that thinks everybody's open game. If we can take them down, we have really scored. Let me just say, you've lost for life, and you don't even know it. You can never say to a wife, I give myself wholly to you. Now, I'm glad God can forgive our sins. You say, well, I failed. Well, let me say this to you. A lot of people failed. And in this area, we can say, praise be to God, that God can forgive. But at the same time, you can't go back to that sin and fall into it again and again and again and say you have been delivered. Protection. The husband is to protect the wife. Laying down his life for her. Ephesians 5.25 The wife is to protect the home. As seen in Titus chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Parents are to protect their children. to And to teach them to raise up a godly seed. And that they might themselves be godly seeds. Well, uh, I just want to say to you that too much familiarity between any couple uh, before marriage will lead to immorality. And God never meant for you to act like you're married before you're married. And uh, you're better off uh, fleeing. That's the only way you can deal with adultery and immorality. Uh, You say, well, I tell you what we'll do. We'll... Uh, We'll just try to resist and hang on to one another. You'll never make it. What is done? What did Joseph do? When Potiphar's wife tempted him to immorality, it was what everybody was doing. Joseph said, God forbid that I sin against God. And he said, I'm out of here. And he fled. You know, he was made to suffer consequences for his righteousness and standing right. But here's the good thing. God promoted him in time. Whatever. Just let me tell you this. Hear me out and hear me well. God has made time to be a purifier as well. For time reveals that that is right and And that that is not right. So uh, time is on our side. Fruitfulness. Protection. And if we want to preach the gospel. And really preach it powerfully. We preach it as a result of our understanding. That the husband and wife relationship. Preaches Christ and his church. Your home is reflecting Jesus Christ. Uh, I think it's interesting for those that are hurting, that have lost their spouse in one way or another, that uh, the Bible has used the book of Hosea to point out to us that Hosea remained faithful in spite of his wife going a-whoring after other men. And what God said was, Hosea... Uh you be faithful and he began to pray a hedge of thorns about her. Here's what he prayed. Lord let her pursuers of immorality despise her and turn on her. One of the ways we can pray is, God, allow my children's so-called lovers turn on them. Amen. Lord, put a hedge about it. Amen. That they not be uh, able to get to the acts of immorality. Let me plead with you, folks, this is becoming a very serious issue. And uh, when God allows apostasy to start moving into the church, then everybody lowers the standard, and everybody makes worship commonplace. You know what keeps any and all of us pure? A heart that is a heart seeking after God. You say, well, I have a heart that's seeking after God, so that means I'm going to be okay. David had one too. All it takes is one day. All it takes is one act of immorality. And then your skull has that scar forever. So those that have been saved and delivered from a life of immorality and brought to a place of deliverance, realize that you're a testimony of God's power to save. I had a man say to me this last week, I hadn't seen him in a long time. And he was uh, messed up in immorality. And he said this to me. I used to come to you and beg you to help me to remove the guilt. To get rid of the feelings of filthiness that I felt in my soul. But he said, I can only say that what you pointed me toward... Because Jesus Christ alone can cleanse your soul and wash away your sin that you never have any more guilt. But it's going to take an attitude of repentance and total surrender and submission to Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Apostasy. Apostasy and its manifestations.